This is Jimmy Smith. Today on the MMA on SiriusXM podcast, I speak with MMA junkies Nolan King about Cain Velasquez finally being granted bail and the reaction of the MMA community. What could this mean for the future of Cain Velasquez in court? Also, I answer your question from the midweek mailbag. Remember to submit a question. Just email it to utcmailbag at gmail.com. He did work for MMAJunkie.com on the Kane Velasquez case. He has been in court. He has seen everything that has been going on. Now, of course, Kane Velasquez getting a million-dollar bond. Nolan King from MMA Junkie. How you doing, my man? Good, Jimmy. I appreciate you having me on, man. Dude, anytime, anytime. So, so the first question, the first thing that popped into my head is, What's changed? He's been trying to get bail for eight months. Suddenly he's getting it now. What circumstances, what circumstances, if any, have changed? Yeah, really, the, uh, the only circumstance that's changed is that a different judge heard this bail hearing. Um, that's really what it boils down to. It was getting to the point where, you know, as an outside observer, I don't have a legal background. I've studied this case quite a bit, though, and I've, I've gotten really familiar with all the hearings. We've heard the same arguments from Kane's lawyer, Mark Gargis, over and over again. Uh, you know, it was kind of getting to a point where it seemed like it was beating a dead horse. It was kind of at nauseum. And it turns out that, you know, they go before a different judge uh, on Monday for a pretrial hearing, something that wasn't even necessarily related to bail. And uh, his Mark Garrigus makes a, a motion for bail again, like he's done numerous times before. And every time he's been shut down, really the biggest difference here was that he had a judge that seemingly, seemingly interpreted the whole thing differently. Um, you know, and he certainly, this judge certainly, played up the emotional aspect in the fact that Kane was a family man and that he was a member of the community that had a lot of support. And that was something that the previous judge was uh, kind of openly saying was not a reason for him to, to be able to get out. You know, it wasn't a popularity contest or it wasn't, you know, a, a, a um, character witnesses weren't going to bail him out of the situation. So it was very interesting to, to hear that and hear the stark differences. But really what it comes down to is just putting this in front of a different person. Is that a little strange to you? Like, we'd like to think that justice is blind and just who you get on that particular day shouldn't decide whether or not you go home for eight months. But is, is that what you're seeing? Yeah, it was shocking to me. Um, you know, and you could hear from, from his tone, the judge's tone yesterday when he started, you know, he heard from both sides. He heard um, kind of the district attorney's objections to the whole thing. He heard uh, Mark Erigus and Cain Velasquez, uh, you know, the defense's side kind of, give their usual spiel about the whole thing. And you could kind of tell from his responses that he was seemingly more um, sympathetic towards Kane's situation. And really, I guess in the technical terms, what it boils down to is I think that, you know, is Kane a, a danger to the public? The first judge said, yes, this judge was saying that there were ways to make sure that he wouldn't be. And one of those reasons that, that he listed as a reason that Kane wouldn't be a danger was the fact that he has all this support and he's had all these people behind him that have gone to bat for him, that have done, you know, Dana White, uh, all these MMA uh, luminaries, you know, people from uh, the pro wrestling world. He's got all these people going to bat for him. And he's got a, a child that, that he's saying, you know, this, this kid needs his father in this time. He wants to be home for the holidays. All those things that the, that the first judge said she was pushing aside was actually used as, uh, reasoning by this judge as reasons why Kane would not be a danger, why he would not repeat. Um, he brought up his past criminal history, which was nothing. He brought up his fight risk, which was was zero. So, um, yeah, it was it was very interesting to see it used as the specific reasoning when it was totally ruled out the first time. I was shocked. I was stunned. 
Um, speaking, of course, to uh, Nolan King from MMAJunkie.com. It almost sounded, when I read it out, and I, I just read out the quote from, from the, the judge about um, you know, not being a, th- uh, being a, a heat of passion type thing. He had never had any other criminal, real criminal history, as you mentioned. Are you starting to see, or at least I saw, okay, where the defense might go with this? That, okay, this was a one-time thing. It, he was very emotional about his son, da, 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 that that might be the kind of the emotional argument of the defense. Is, is that kind of the way this might go? Yeah, and for people that, that don't understand what the hearing was on Monday and Tuesday, um, it was a pretrial hearing. So basically what that is is the judge looks at the case, they hear from both sides, and they say, is there probable cause for this to go to trial? Like, is there enough probable cause for the district attorney to reasonably think that Kane may have done these things? And the answer was yes for all the charges. But what was interesting was the judge said that there was some that there could be a debate about the a crime of, uh, you know, heat of passion, I think is what he said. You know, yes. was this just a split-second decision? You know, did, did Kane just act impulsively? He said that's not for him to figure out. What he was trying to figure out was whether or not, it, you know, there was uh, enough information to say that this event may have happened and that it should go to trial. However, that does provide insight into what the next judge's ruling would be, which are those sort of things that the defense brings up. You know, this was an impulse issue. This was, um, you know, a crime of passion. He acted irrationally because of the situation he was put in. Those are the sort of the defenses that we're going we're gonna to see from, from the defense in, in an actual trial. Monday and Tuesday was essentially a little preview of both arguments from the defense and the prosecution. Uh, one thing about this, uh, this whole case that's kind of interesting, part of the bail, of course, is he has to under, undergo some kind of treatment or evaluation for traumatic brain, gen- traumatic brain injury and CTE, right? Chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Um, is that good or bad? What I'm trying to wrap my head around is if Kane did this because – He's just been hit ahead a lot, hit in the head a lot, and it may affect his his judgment. It may affect his impulse control. All of these things that might help him in trial. But if they find it before the trial, could they revoke his bail because of it? That's what I'm curious. You know, if, if you if we find CTE, we might want you off the street in the meantime. Is it kind of a double edged sword there? Yeah, it is. You know, and it's it's interesting too because I look at it and I say. On one hand, the defense is saying, "Well, this is what any father would have done." You know, he was acting like anybody would, and and on the flip side, they're saying, well, he has, you know, something potentially wrong with his brain that may have done this. So I think it is a bit contradictory there. Yeah. But, um, you know, overall, I think it will be interesting to kind of move into this uncharted territory, which is these discussions of PBI and CTE being used um, in court as a defense of a former MMA fighter for actions. And, and we'll see. I mean, obviously, there's still a lot of science to be done with CTE. There's a lot of things they don't know. There's a lot of things they can't test for or can't see it in certain, you know, in, in most living individuals. So It'll be interesting to see um, what sort of requirements they they have him undergo. And uh, specifically, you know, he's going to have to do some stuff, some testing. But I guess we'll uh, we'll we'll see what they come back with. Um, You know, I I think that the judge's ruling is going to stay. Um, But, yeah, I see where you're coming from. Like it it could be used against him in the future for for not allowing him to be out. Speaking, of course, to Nolan King from MMA Junkie, one of the things I, I touched on talking about this article is Kane didn't get knocked out with the kind of frequency we've seen, like a BJ Penn, Anderson Silva, Chuck Liddell at the end of his career. I could name a, a dozen fighters off the top of my head who got beat up more than Kane Velasquez. Now, I know he's a heavyweight. He's dealing with some very heavy hitters. But my point is, if there's a legal precedent of 
Kane had brain damage getting knocked out a total of two times in his MMA career. Is this bad PR for the UFC? In, in the long run, could this happen if this comes out in trial that, yeah, he's messed up. He got knocked out twice, which is not a whole lot yeah. by, by MMA standards. Right. Yeah, no, I think that that's, again, a very good point. Um, I don't think it looks good for the UFC. It certainly could be something that's used against them in the future, maybe in future hearings about, um, you know, the, the effects of CTE or TBI or, you know, whether the UFC will have to, um, you know, maybe cover these guys longer term than they do healthcare wise. At the same time, the Velasquez side did build into their claims of CTE and TBI um, talks of childhood trauma. Uh, they did not, ne- not necessarily go into what that exactly meant. Um, I'm not sure if they meant it was sports related, if it was some other sort of blows to the head related, but um, my guess is that might be partially um, why that's in there as well is to say that it was not completely from his fighting career. Uh, speaking, of course, to Nolan King, MMAJunkie.com. How has Kane been throughout this process? I mean, we've seen pictures of him. We've seen him in court. He seems pretty stoic and everything I've seen. What's your general impression of how he's handling this and how his fam- family's handling it, if you have any idea? Yeah, I mean, it's um, he, he's kind of been Kane. Like, you know, I think we covered him enough, and we, we know how he acts. He's never wanted to be the center of attention, and it's very – very contradictory thing for a guy to be in a case like this and have to stand in the courtroom and uh, sit there with, uh, you know, size quadruple XL, um, you know, jump, jumpsuit on and, and be chained up and have a million people there trying to support him um, for something that he allegedly did wrong. And so he's been, he seemed to take it well. I think he's a strong leader, um, you know, of, of that whole AKA sort of group, the squad, the gym, the people that extend beyond the pro fight team that we're aware of. Um, and, you know, it was nice to once in a while you would see an expression throughout this process. You'd see, uh, you know, yesterday he was smiling a lot, which is something that we didn't necessarily see a ton of outside of him waving to his family, you know, his kids in the, in the crowd a couple of times when he would come out, um, when they would bring him out from the back. So he's largely remained quiet. I think he's spoken essentially sentences that have been yes and no throughout this whole thing. Um, but they did catch some of the local media did catch him coming out of the courthouse yesterday and certainly would seem to be in good spirits about the recent development. Obviously working out well, and that you know he he got the bail he had been asking for. But um, as far as MMA fans go, it, it, it's it's interesting, of course. And I've, I've tried to make this clear on my show quite a bit that you can call something morally defensible, and it's not legally defensible, right? You can say I understand why he did it; it's still legally going to be an issue. Um, how do you see the road ahead going? Where the the, the defense is going to use maybe a moral defense issue, and the prosecution is going to use a legally indefensible issue? How do you think it's going to go? Yeah, it will be interesting. And again, I think the lesson to be learned here, you, you brought it up, you hit it nail on the head right there. We've, we've talked about it a ton internally. It's morality versus legality. And I felt like yeah. we had pretty clear lines drawn in the sand until Monday and Tuesday where we kind of heard a judge, you know, side with him and, and understand the emotion and everything behind it. So I guess really we're getting a clean slate again. Um, I believe that the trial judge for his trial will be somebody different. So it will really come down to, how much somebody, uh, the, uh, the judge rules, um, you know, kind of leans into the, the, the morality side of things as a, as a justification. And I'm sure that the defense will. They'll be leaning on emotion heavily. They'll be leaning on um, the Harry Gallart case that's ongoing as well. Um, and so we'll, we'll see. I'm really, it'll be up to the judge how much he wants to include that stuff or if he just is, is really a strict, um, you know, by-the-book legal guy. Uh, one thing that, that, that I find... <sighs> Uh, you know, difficult to to difficult to kind of put my 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 finger on here is if I'm a prosecutor, do you really want to put a guy who's extremely well known, 
as you said, a pillar of the community, a leader at AKA. This trial will take place in the Bay where he's very well known. Is there a chance a prosecutor goes, look, I don't want to put this in front of a jury. The idea that I get 12 people who have kids to agree that this guy deserves to go to prison for 20 years, that he might, or they, obviously collectively, the prosecution might offer a plea at some point. How likely do you think that might be from what you're hearing? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, the, 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 I look at Monday and Tuesday as a preview of what's to come. And so I think if you're the district attorney who, at the end, when the, the bail decision was read, I thought it was the first time I've heard him sound a bit uncomfortable verbally, just kind of, I think he might have been as surprised as everyone else and caught off guard by the whole thing that had seemed to be going according to his plan 100% up until that point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, I guess we'll, we'll really have to see how it plays out. And, and um, you know, I think the jury selection is going to be interesting for this. Like, how do you, you know, how do you potentially find people that aren't aware of this case? So you could be looking at something that's going to be going on for, who knows, a couple of years. And um, so, yeah, maybe maybe people don't want to go through this. Maybe they're willing to settle with the plea and the district attorney is willing to maybe hedge their bets a little bit and say, hey, we'll shave some years off. And, you know, here's the best deal we've given you so far. But um, I know Mark Jarigas up until this point has been openly saying that he is not afraid to go to trial and that that's where things are headed. Uh, do you think the MMA community understands that? Because we've been hearing bail, free Kane, free Kane. Now it's like, oh, Kane's free. I'm like, he's not free. He's on bail. He has a very long road ahead of him. As you said, you know, a couple of years this could drag on, depending on motions and all the things that, that are involved in a, in, in a case like this. Do you think the MMA community understands the gravity, the length, and the process? Because it seems like today was a huge victory, but it, they don't seem to understand how long this could possibly go on. Yeah, and I, I get the sentiment of the free cane stuff, and I've always said that, but I, I just always thought it was a very unreasonable goal to throw out there. And if you're talking about bail as being free, like, you know, being able to go back to his family during this, okay, that's, that's a fair way to claim it. But it seems like mostly it's used as a method of saying this guy should just, you know, they should just let him walk free and that will be it, you know, just because of, of the emotion and reasoning behind allegedly what he did. Um, I don't necessarily see that as a possible outcome. Um, I think you would really have to have a lot of chips fall, um, you know, your way, have a lot of cards fall properly for you. And I don't think that that's something that they could necessarily necessarily rely on. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's I mean, I guess anything's possible, but I would say it's very far fetched that, you know, he's not looking at at least some sort of moderate sentence. Uh, speaking of Nolan King, MMAJunkie.com, does everything come down to the judge at this point? Because we got a totally different judge for this pretrial hearing, and boom, like that, Kane's out on bail, right? Um, if we get a hardliner for the trial who doesn't allow a lot of the evidence from the alleged, chi alleged mm -hmm. child molester and all this stuff to be even admitted, because let's face it, Kane shot the wrong guy. So the judge could quite easily say that other case has nothing to do with this. Could this be a matter of if he gets the right judge, it goes well. If he doesn't, it could go horribly. Is that, is, is that kind of the sense you're getting after what happened today? It surprised everybody. Yeah, I think that's really what it is because you, you think about it, right? The judge is kind of the person that steers the ship. They're the ones that allow certain conversations to take place. They're the ones that if a side has an objection and something needs to be removed from the record, they're the one that, that rules on all these motions and everything. So they're, they're really the one that can – you know, make the argument seem weaker, or stronger to a jury. Um, so it really does come down to that. And I also, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, that's really, that's really the biggest thing right there. Nolan, I really appreciate your time, my man. You did great work on this article in this whole case. Nolan King, MMA junkie. Thanks for giving us your time, buddy.
Any anytime, Jimmy. Really appreciate it, man. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Jimmy Smith is a knowledgeable man in many areas of life. I'm a one-man phenom of information. And he's gracious enough to share that knowledge by answering your questions about any subject you desire. Just email your question to utcmailbag at gmail.com and have them answered by Jimmy Smith himself. The Wednesday tradition continues on Unlocking the Cage. It's time for the Midweek Mailbag on Sirius XM Fight Nation. What's up, folks? Jimmy Smith unlocking the cage. You know how to get a question at me. UTC mailbag at gmail.com. That's where you send them. And I answer them. Answer them about anything. Anything you think I could answer, basically. Right? Anyway, KOB, you've been sifting through them. You pick out the gems. You hit me whenever you feel like it. Mail, motherfucker. All right. Naturally, with UFC 281, we got quite a few 281 questions. And I'm ready Uh, for that, KOB. I can handle that. First one up comes from Nick in New Jersey. Who says, "Hey Jimmy, mm-hmm. if he wins on Saturday, how much more would Izzy have to do to overtake Anderson as the best middleweight in UFC history?" Uh, the debate will already be there. <laughs> the debate will already be there. So um, the, the the problem is, Izzy, of course, took the the move up to two hundred five to take on the champ at the time, Jan Blahovich, and did not have success. So I think that is the only thing you really hold against him in his legacy. Um, the other thing is he does have more decisions, generally speaking, than Anderson Silva had at this point. Here's the question. We'll already have the debate. If he beats uh, Pereira, he has cleared out the 185-pound division. There's no real contender left. He's beaten everybody. It comes down to an emotional thing, right? It comes down to an emotional debate. When you saw Anderson Silva just demolish fighter after fighter in dramatic fashion, making it look easy, a walking away jab knocked out Forrest Griffin, right? Izzy has had his moments, but it's been a while. The last big one was the, the, the TKO over Paulo Costa, right? Remember the knockout over Robert Whitaker? But he tended to have these kind of dull spots in the middle. Yoel Romero... Not a great fight. Lost to Jan Blahovich. Marvin Vittori wasn't particularly exciting. Robert Whitaker hasn't been particularly exciting. Jared Cannonier wasn't particularly exciting. Anderson Silva never had a run that was that long without excitement. Yes, the Talos Latis fight. Yes, the Damian Maya fight. That was really about it. <laughs> After that, every fight he had in his prime was must-see TV. It, it just was the way it was. So it's how you emotionally resonate with... The, the accomplishments of, of, of Anderson Silva. Now, you're looking at, he won the, the title um, taking on Rich Franklin. Then it was Travis Luter, Nate Marquardt, Rich Franklin, Dan Henderson. Okay, all of those were by finish. Same thing, James Irvin, Patrick Cote, Talis Latis, that was a dud. Then he destroys Forrest Griffin. Damon Maia was a dud. Then he beats Chael Sonnen, one of the greatest fights of all time. Then he knocks out Vitor Belfort, one of the greatest you know, front kick knockouts ever. Destroys Yushin Okami. Beats Chel Sonnen again. Destroys Stefan Bonner. Two fights in his title run weren't 
exciting. Izzy has a lot more of them. So I think when it comes to that, that's when you're going to get the, well, he didn't, he didn't get me out of my seat um, the way Anderson Silva did. You know, Izzy's almost a little bit more, a little more B-hop, right? A little more play it safe on the outside and take fighters apart. He's great at it, but I think the debate is already there. Which side you're on depends on how much you were around for Anderson Silva's run. KOB, is that fair or not? It's whether or not you were around watching a prime Anderson Silva and went, holy God, he's amazing, right? It's fair. It's funny, though. Yeah. Like I think I always said I don't really count. Anderson's light heavyweight wins that much, aside from Forrest Griffin. They that weren't great, absolute, other than Forrest. That, yeah. that was an absolute dismantling, and he looked like another level better former than Former champ and a former, former champ. champ. He had yes. just lost the belt, so I, 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 I'm not taking that one away. But, like, like, oh, he fought a light heavyweight. But aside from that Forrest Griffin one, he fought James, James Sandman Irving, yeah. who was washed out not long after that. And then Forrest Griffin, uh, Stephen Bonner off the couch. They had one of the funniest moments I ever saw with Anderson where I remember he was he was doing what he typically does, where he was playing around with Stefan Bonner. Yep. And as you could hear his corner screaming, like, knock it off, like, start taking it seriously. And Anderson, mid-fight, like, while on the cage, just turned back and was like, I got it, I'm fine. Like, yeah. Like, we're it was almost okay anticlimactic because of that. You're yeah. almost like... He was so yeah, in control that, that. Like, while Whilst, like, grappling a little bit and, like, fighting for positioning up against the cage, he's like, guys, I'm fine. We'll, we'll be okay. Like, it was a calm down. I handled this in a second. But... It's tougher because I feel like GSP's middleweight run, tougher strength of schedule than what Izzy's getting. And you could argue that the guys today are better than the guys that, you know, uh, Izzy got to fight. But he had a couple legends in there. He had a lot of legends. Yeah. He came back against Son and beat him twice. Beat Mark Dan Henderson. People forget how great Dan Henderson was. Dan Henderson coming out of pride, too. So he still had both belts. I remember he got to fight both at lightweight and at middleweight. And Rich Franklin was a really underrated middleweight. Franklin was really good. Really underrated. That was was the first time watching MMA where I'm like, I've never seen a fighter want out of a fight so bad. Like, not that Rich was like giving up, but you could just see like every knee was taking life out of him. Like, it hurt. It hurt. Yes. You were moving. When when you watched that live, you were literally moving in your seat with it. Like, ah. It was uh, uncomfortable. You see, KLB, you're saying exactly what it was almost like when you saw it, you're like oh i can't translate that feeling to you right i can't when i talk about anderson silva a prime anderson silva if you weren't there you weren't there i i can't make you understand what it was like seeing that in real time i was amazed you shifted so, with rich a lot of emotion as, as he took each day like you moved and felt that knee too like oh yes god stop it so Just, bad no <laughs> turn, turn so right bad. turn left but well, that that was brutal is he Izzy's been, for the most part, like, yeah, he's had some duds, but, like, it, no one's really tested him. Like, it, yeah. not since the Gastelum fight. That's the, That was the one time he got a little bit tested. He's kind of been in control. Even even the fights where people are like, oh, no, I think maybe so-and-so might have won this. He's been in control of the fight. It's and just, that's, that, that's another that side of the debate. Out? Right. That's another side of the debate is do we give credit to, to, to someone who is tested or isn't tested? Meaning, you know, Anderson went through the fire with Chel Sonnen. In the first fight, came out one, and that was kind of his red badge of courage, right? But you could also go, well, you know, nobody tested Izzy like that. Well, yeah, but is it better or worse to not be tested? That's another side of the debate, and I, I can't answer that for you. Some people are like, I prefer the guy who's never been tested. That's how good he is. Other people go, no, I want to see what he's really made of before I call him the best ever. We saw what Anderson Silva was really made of, so it's an emotional debate. Uh, I, see, even with that, like against Chael, he was going like, to lose. Well, I feel like with Izzy, like saying like, oh yeah, you know. It's tested because he's so much better than the top guys in his division. Like that's why right. he's untested. That, that's really, my point. Like, yeah, Robert Whitaker was the guy of that division. He would think like, ah, oh, this would be the toughest guy for Izzy, and he went through him easy the first time, a little bit tougher the second time. 
but but still, still not a huge fight. challenge, right? Yeah. So not, yeah, not, it's not a huge. matter of right, but it's a matter of some people like their number one all time or whatever to be tested, and that's the one thing Izzy hasn't really had, right? But Izzy, and also Anderson Silva's run. At the end of the day, when the the book of MMA is written, I think Anderson Silva's opposition will have more names in it. I think we'll remember the Dan Hendersons, the Chael Sonnens, the Rich Franklins a little more than this era of middleweight. That's how I see it right now. Could change. Next. Message. Well, staying right on, Izzy, and another interesting question. Sure. Uh, this comes from Rodney from New Jersey who says, hey, Jimmy, really pumped for the fights this Saturday. If Adesanya wins, who would be next for a middleweight title shot? He would have beaten the, the top six in the division. There are no other rank contenders the fans are really excited to see to fight Izzy outside of maybe Sean Strickland. Do you think uh, there'd be more interest in Izzy fighting for the light heavyweight belt again or fighting a top welterweight moving up? It's probably, I mean, I, I, I but when I look at the, the, the welterweight division, the only name that makes sense across the board, Kamzat Shemayev. That's the only fight at 185 that people go, okay, how about that one? He's beaten Robert Whitaker, Jared Cannonier, Marvin Vittori, Alex Pereira, uh, Derek Brunson, Paulo Costa. I don't think Sean Strickland at number seven is much of a test. Um, Pereira knocked his head off. I think Israel Adesanya does the exact same thing. Um, Yacker Manson, no way. Darren Till, forget it. Um, the only one at 170 that I would believe could go up and do anything, I would have said Kamaru Usman. His dance card is filled for right now. He's going to take on Leon Edwards in, in the rubber match. Kamzat Shemaev at 185 is the only one. That I that 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 the UFC can sell that I could go. Hey, I'll tune in to watch Kamzat Shemaev against Israel Adesanya. It's the first dedicated grappler he's taken on since UL Romero, who didn't really uh, use his takedown that effectively in the fight. I really think it's it's Kamzat or bust. And I think Kamzat is a better fit, by the way, um, in a 185 title fight than he is at a 170 title fight because of the weight cutting issues. If I'm the UFC. I believe he can make 85. I don't believe he can make 170 for a big title pay-per-view fight. Let's keep him at 185, and it's the only fight available. It's comms out or bust. That's it. I feel, like Strick- I feel like Strickland with a win is right in there. Like, plus he got Depends under Izzy's on the win. skin. He got, he got under Izzy's skin a little bit at the presser that one time, so like right before he lost to Pereira. So... It's there, but I'm with you. I always said, I'm like, I, I don't even know why Shemayev's trying to make 170. Izzy's cleaned out a division. Like, you might as well. Yeah, just yeah. why right not fill that gap? Yeah. Right to 185 and just get a shot that's probably right there for you. I'm yeah. with you. I, I think that's the best way to go. But also, Strickland stylistically, I, I don't think is a good matchup for, for, for Izzy. I think Izzy beats him. I think he beats him pretty easily. He got really lazy with his striking against Pereira. Uh, he stands really super-duper tall. I think, it's a, I think Izzy takes him apart. So I don't think it's it's a, it's a competitive fight. Next, you've got mail. All right. Next up, this comes from Ryan in Saskatoon. Always tough for me to say. That uh, is a tough one. It's not just you. That's a tough one. <laughs> uh, he says, "Hey Jimmy, a lot of people keep referencing that KO by Alex over Izzy in their second fight, but I'm not sure they actually watched the fight other than the KO highlight." Alex yeah. came out with heavy with a heavy forward pressure, and Izzy picked him apart for the first round. In the second, Izzy was tuning Alex up, and the ref had to give Alex a standing eight count. Alex was out on his feet, very hurt. Uh, if that's an MMA fight, that would have finished him at the point, and, uh, and that's just with boxing gloves on. We all know Alex is going to pressure Izzy, but when has Izzy looked his best? When people pressure him. Alex has natural heavy hands, which can always be an equalizer, but don't sleep on the champ, though, which may, many seem to be doing. Is he tailor-made for Izzy to have a... a Fantastic performance. We are really hoping. 
let's face it, we're really hoping. Because sometimes the best thing, you know, to, to once again reference Anderson Silva, when Anderson Silva didn't fear you or didn't worry about you, he could have some boring fights. He would play with you and just kind of, you know, another day at the office. When you feel that someone is a threat to you and they're dangerous to you, you're sharp, man. That juice really gets you and you, you really are focused. Pereira, no matter what you think about, of course, and I, I did watch their fight all the way through, so I know exactly what you're talking about. But Pereira knocked your ass out. You got to respect that guy's power. And respecting the power of Pereira, I think, will bring, bring the best out of Izzy. I really believe, hey, if this guy puts hands on me, he can finish me. He did it before. So that juice of being in front of somebody who can actually damage you, and you know it, I think brings the best out of Israel Asanya. Izzy, unfortunately, when he isn't facing someone that he really is that worried about, does tend to go into kind of a lazy fight mode. He just does. He, he just controls the distance, and he, he fights very, very smart. A, a, a good analogy would be, you know, B-Hop, Bernard Hopkins in the boxing world, where he kept you on the outside and did what he needed to do. But against someone that whose offense he really respects, I think it brings the best out of him, and it better. Because this guy's got that superstar push from the UFC. He's got to have more exciting fights. I think this one needs to be it. Next. Message. All right. Next up, this comes from Jeff in Idaho, who says, what's up, UTC crew? Yo. Uh, yesterday on the show, Andreas and Ryan were talking about the best and worst retirement or last fights of a person's career in honor of Frank Yeager's last fight this weekend. Yes. Since you were out, Jimmy, what is your favorite retirement or last fight, and what is your least favorite? Oh, my God. Um, my least favorite was probably one I called was Josh Koscheck. And the reason I couldn't stand it is we waited forever for Josh Koscheck to make his Bellator debut. He was in all of these um, promo pieces and all this stuff, and he was a big signing. And he fought one time against a guy named uh, Mauricio Alonso. And... Uh, he got knocked out in the first round. Mauricio Alonso, by the way, I don't think it had it had like one TKO as whole career. Basically, a jujitsu guy. Uh, Josh Koscheck was a mess. He had neck injuries. He couldn't do anything. So it was he came in for the payday from Bellator and went. I'm out of here. I don't need this. It was the most anticlimactic retirement. I don't know if he announced it. You know when when he you know afterward. I don't remember. But it was his last fight. He hasn't. That was 2017. He hasn't fought since then. Um, it was so anticlimactic, especially from a guy that, you know, was part of the original Ultimate Fighter. You imagine his last fight would be a big deal and all this stuff. It was an absolute dud, and it was really tough to watch. It, it was just awful. It was someone who clearly couldn't do it anymore. One of my favorites, and I'll, I'll just go, I'll stay with MMA. I've, I've seen a million in boxing. Um, one of the ones I really liked when I think about Retirement fights. Uh, Ricardo Lamas. Ricardo Lamas went out against Bill Algio by unanimous decision. It's a couple years ago in 2020. Um, and he didn't have that that horrible loss after loss after loss. He didn't have that, right? He went, you know, two and three in his last five. You know, no, you know, one of the wins was Darren Elkins, lost to Calvin Cater, beat Bill Algio, but went out on his own terms. Got a fight of the night to finish it off. That was a great one for me. I really liked watching Ricardo Lamas go out on his own terms. And, folks, that's just unbelievably rare. It's just un like it just stands out in my head. It's like he's like, all right, I'm out. Good. I'm going off on a win. I interviewed him right afterward. If anybody remembers, you know, I, I, I had him on the show. He was happy. 
And I, it was just great seeing all of those things together. It was great seeing all of that together. Uh, like GSP, you know, quote-unquote retiring after his 185-pound title win. He didn't announce the retirement, didn't say anything, just kind of gave up the title and, you know... Um, Khabib's was great, but there was also the disappointment that we feel Khabib could have done a little bit more. I feel like with the Ricardo Lamas retirement, we kind of got everything out, and he went out the right way. Also, Chris Lytle is another one that 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 was big, went out, I wouldn't say on top, but went out with a win and, and felt good about things, and, and that's important to me. So those are big ones. Next. You've got mail. All right. I have to kind of show a picture. This isn't so much of a question so much as if someone wants to reignite the rivalry between you and me. Uh, this comes from Diana, who says, Thanks, it's official, Diana. Jimmy. Well, Appreciate here's it. Here's the thing. You're going to like it because she's on your side here, basically. Okay. Uh, she says, hey, Jimmy, it's official. This advent calendar proves that Die Hard is, in fact, a Christmas movie. This is the advent calendar she sent. Oh, yes. I love it. Nakatomi building. I love it. What it is. Oh, this is amazing. What it is, it's the Nakatomi building, and it's an advent calendar, and it goes from 25 all the way down to one, and it shows Hans Gruber falling off the top of Nakatomi Plaza because it is a Christmas movie, and that's universally acknowledged. And I'm glad you settled the debate for us, Diana. It's not a Christmas movie. It's settled. It's settled. It's uh, I can make I can make it I can make I can make merchandise. Susumu, what's up? Movie. Die Hard a Christmas movie? Susumu, come on, bro. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I can't really see that as a Christmas movie. Die, no, 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 no. Oh, you're out. Can. You're out. No, 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 no. Cut <laughs> off his mic. Turn off his mic. Bro, Diana no, no. and I have settled this debate. We've settled this debate. It's over. Christmas movie. Christmas movie. Thank you. I'm, pr- I'm proud of Sumo. Most most people just kind of kiss up to Jimmy when they're first starting out. You know what, Susumo? It's nice working with you. Part of the nice working with you. Nice working with you, Susumo. Really great. Really great. And he hasn't seen the movie, so he doesn't know. Just just put that in chat. Hasn't seen the movie. It's not. Thank you. It's not. Don't worry. Can, can I make a case? Spo- spoiler alert. It's not Sumo. <laughs> Go ahead. I, uh, all right. So look, I've been. I haven't seen the movie, but I, I just wanted to say that I felt pressured in that situation, so I felt like I had to make an answer, even though I was like, wait, 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 I haven't seen the movie. No, 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 don't go chose to me. Don't right, go to me. Don't go to me. You chose right under pressure. Susumu, all right, watch answer. the movie, watch the movie, and it's constant Christmas themes, and let me know. Just watch the movie and let us know. That's all you got to do, Susumu. All right? Can you do that for me? Um, Good. We'll, yes. I'll, I'll give it a yes, shot. Yes, you can. Yeah, that's a yes. That's a yes. All right, KLB, moving on. Moving on. The, the debate is settled. It's a Christmas movie. Moving on. Moving on. Answer my question! We're moving on because I want to. Oh, okay. To. All right. Good deal. All right. This will be the last one for the day. Uh, this comes from Keith, who says, Good day, crew. Uh, I remember hearing you guys talk about the awfulness of GSP Sarah, too. Every time I watch that fight, those knees to Sarah's body make me cringe. Oh. Um, now, Hollywood, I know you have the knowledge, so do not let me down. Years and years ago, very early UFC, they had an event. Can a good little guy beat a good big guy? I think it was the final fight, and some small guy leg kicked the crap out of some big guy. It was the first time I'd ever really seen how deadly leg kicks could be. Who was the fighter throwing the nasty kicks, leg kicks, and who did he beat? Paul Varlins is the big guy. The small guy is Marco Huas. Who it was? I knew the event. I knew the event yeah. he was talking about. I remember it was. Yeah. I had the thing on VHS. It was UFC. Now KOB, KOB to the list. Now straight up. KOB, did you give me any indication who this was? Did you give me this no. information? 
Honestly. No, I was curious to see if you'd get it on your own. The polar bear Paul Varlins versus the king of the streets Marco Huas is the is the the fight you're thinking of. And Huas kicked the living shit out of Paul Varlins. Kicked the Now, when I say small, Paul Varlins was like almost 7 foot. He was just huge. But uh Marco Huas is not a small guy. Marco Huas is is a decent sized light heavyweight. Um, I think he may have fought in the heavyweight division. Back then, they didn't really have divisions. But uh, who else wasn't a small guy? But Varlins was just huge, and he just chopped him down. And So the king of the streets, Marco Huas, is who you are thinking of. Uh, Luta Livre guy, great fighter, great coach, uh, MMA pioneer, chopped down Paul the Polar Bear Varlins. Ta-da. Which UFC was it? It was, some, it was called like See, see no, I'm wrong now, I think, because – I thought it was uh, UFC Are you thinking 8. of some other fight? Because that's the late kick fight I think of. You're probably correct. Yeah. I thought it was UFC 8, David versus Goliath, because that was the whole theme. It was a smaller guy versus a bigger guy, which that is like was the theme so that ridiculous when you look at it. That's when Gary Goodrich destroyed <laughs> yes. Paul Herrera. Just the, yeah, the most vicious KO I think I've still ever seen. There's been some, like, Henderson's is up there of a Bisbing, but like getting caught in a crucifix and eating like 10 elbows in a row is still one of the most vicious things I have ever seen. Um, Absolutely awful, yeah. I yeah, see the Paul Huas fight was here. UFC seven. That was I see Paul that was the, on yeah. here. Yeah, uh, Paul Joe, Paul oh, It's kind of funny. He fought Joe Marrera, who's ironically yeah. uh, the guy who gave my MMA coaches their black belt. <laughs> but, Joe uh, Marrera, yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Marrera, big, big jujitsu guy. He's been in the scene forever and. But day. yeah, I don't see. You forever. said it was Marco Huas, uh, Paul Valorant, right? Barnes, yeah, yeah. That was UFC yeah, they, seven. They did not fight on this card. Yeah. But that's the – now, I don't know if you're thinking – well, let me da, – da, 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 let, me, let me check this out here. Hold on. Uh, was that UFC 8? UFC 8, yeah. It was David versus Goliath. Yeah, David but Goliath, I don't remember da, 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 anyone getting their leg kicked out that hard. No, there wasn't. I, and I remember uh, – Paul Bond, yeah, yeah, da, 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 yeah, nobody. I remember all these fights. No. There wasn't like a, a, a leg kick one. Originally, when I'm looking at it, I was thinking maybe it was Bolander versus Ferozo, but I don't remember that happening. Nope. Nope. That was mostly a grappling match. Bolander beat him with a guillotine, if I remember correctly. Yep, that's an, but that's the fight we are talking about. Paul Varlins versus the King of the Streets, Marco Huas, kicked the crap out of his leg. There you go. Now you know. MMA on SiriusXM is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Plus, catch Unlocking the Cage weekdays from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern and MMA Today Tuesday to Thursday from 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, Channel 156, and on the SXM app. SiriusXM Podcasts.